No fear. No political correctness. No wokeism. You're listening to Underground USA. Thanks for listening, downloading, and sharing. My name is Frank Salvato. Before we get into the meat of this America's Third Watch segment, I just had to comment on the absolute abdication of humanity exercised by U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib, Democrat from Michigan, in her present vote addressing Hamas's use of rape and sexual assault as tools of war. Please understand that Tlaib represents an area of Michigan that is overwhelmingly Islamic and decidedly pro-Palestinian. The majority of the people there saw the genocidal attacks by Hamas on Israel on October 7th in a favorable light. That said, Tlaib represented her constituency in her vote, leading me to my overarching point. More on that in a bit. But to address the disingenuousness of Tlaib, the bipartisan resolution introduced by Representative Lois Frankel, Democrat of Florida, passed in a 418-0 vote, with Tlaib voting present. The resolution calls for lawmakers to condemn all sexual violence and rape committed as a form of weapons of war. While this, like all resolutions from Congress, holds little sway in the realm of reality, it does put all those who voted for it on record as abhorring the practices, which multiple sources have documented Hamas has used against Israeli citizens and on the hostages they violently acquired on October 7th and in the days afterward. How could anyone not join in condemning the rape and sexual assault of women in any context? In defense of her indefensible vote, Tlaib said she was disturbed that the resolution did not address rape or sexual violence allegations made against the soldiers from the Israeli Defense Forces. Quote, We all have a responsibility to denounce sexual violence in all forms, regardless of who is responsible, Tlaib said in an ex-post. War crimes cannot justify more war crimes. This resolution falls well short of also acknowledging the sexual abuse of Palestinians, unquote. The problem with that disingenuous statement? There are no reports of the IDF committing these war crimes. It is a hollow accusation completely devoid of any evidence that any such thing took place. Tlaib is suggesting something that has never happened and trying to cover for her support of Hamas, its terrorism, its anti-Semitic genocidal mission statement, and its tactics by doing so. But as much as I find Talib to be reprehensible and a wholly owned operative of the Islamofascist movement to advance Islam globally, as I said before, she did vote the will of her constituency. Which brings me to my overarching point. The people responsible for a vote that throws shadows onto whether rape and sexual assault should be considered war crimes are the people who voted for Talib and the people who support her continued existence in Congress. It can be argued that Talib just had fidelity to her constituency, so the people who need to be condemned and ostracized 
are the people who support and vote for people like Talib. We've gotten into the habit of believing that the central focal point of all the problems in government rests with the elected officials. That's true to a large extent, but it's not a total package. Tlaib, McConnell, Jeffries, Pelosi, Schumer, AOC. The fact of the matter is this. The blame for the ideological, political, and special interest activism and the continued fleecing of the American people rests almost exclusively with those who vote for these assholes. If they can't get elected, they can't facilitate their opportunism. But they do get elected, and that takes the votes of people who support them. As an aside, where the fuck is the Me Too movement? In voicing support for the aforementioned resolution and voicing condemnation not only for Talib but for her supporters. Bueller? Bueller? They are nowhere because their entire movement was fraudulently gratuitous, a joke. Was the cause a good one? Yes, absolutely. But the spotlight sucker leaders? All self-important, disingenuous assholes. As a second aside, and I'm including a picture as proof, when posting on Facebook about Tlaib's present vote, I was denied the ability to post on a group in which I am the administrator, Facebook providing an excuse, and this is a quote, a security check is required to proceed. No post before or since has seen this denial of service message. Gee, I wonder which side of the Hamas versus Israel, Islam versus freedom issue Facebook lands on. When we come back, my current segment on America's Third Watch broadcast on the Salem and Genesis Broadcasting Networks. You're listening to Underground USA. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. They're funding abortions, demanding Americans comply with their woke climate agenda. They teach people that the U.S. is a system of white supremacy while stripping away your Second Amendment rights. A California Democrat? No. It's Bank of America under CEO Brian Moynihan. There's enough people pushing political agendas in America. Your bank shouldn't be one of them. Bank of America. Their lies start with their name. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. News, insight, passion. AM 930, The Answer.
I did say I think that Wade and Willis will wind up with their own MSNBC program. Now I've got a title for him. It's going to be called Off the Book with, with Wade and Willis. I tell you, this testimony that we witnessed, and there's evidently more coming today, folks, uh, was just, just really took the cake. I think people around the country were tuning out the soap operas and tuning in Annie Willis on the stand. Good morning, Frank. Mr. Kyle, you mean you mean the program off the books and between the sheets? <laughs> I like that. That's that's even better. I'm yeah. telling you, I don't know where these two are going to wind up, but something tells me in SNBC. I don't know why. Yeah, or a reality t- reality TV show. Just let them go. Yeah, y- you know. But one thing's for sure: they shouldn't be inside a courtroom and anytime soon in an authoritative manner. That's right. Well, so yeah, what do you make of that? The testimony. I thought it was just. Really, I mean, this was the best thing on television, it seemed like. Well, they got caught. Yeah. They got caught. So, you know, trying to salvage careers can be kind of melodramatic. But the fact is they got caught. And when you dig into the the motivating factors of, of most of these prosecutors and district attorneys who are going after Trump, you realize there's a stench of Soros there. And a huge burning stench of politics there. And that most of these things shouldn't have ever seen the light of day. It's a blatant attempt to try to keep somebody off the ballot and cripple someone politically. And, and uh, you know, the days of political persecution are here in the United States. I think you're exactly right about that. And and uh, it's very, very unfortunate because... Uh, you know the American people are are not uh, are not appreciative of this. They 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 really kind of see this for what it is. And and her testimony, I just think it, it she just came off as being uh, not just argumentative, but it's something more than that. And then she even mentioned about when she was being admonished to you know answer the question and and you're an adverse witness, not a you know because you you you're you're uh, opposed uh, you know you're you're opposed to what the lawyer is questioning you is all about. And she's snapped back and said, well, they're opposed to democracy, you know, and I yeah. just thought, yeah, there it is. You know, it, it, this is such a, a, a tired old trope that they have now. Well, she's arrogant. She's arrogant. And that is the chief element of being an elitist snob. And that's who's in control of the judicial system today in the United States that has been completely politicized, never should have been not intended to be. It's supposed to be the branch of government that is left untainted by politics. But nevertheless, here we are. And when you corner an elitist snob and and you catch them dead to rights in a lie and impropriety, they lash back like that. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. And uh, the, the boyfriend, Mr. Wade, you know, he seemed to be having I don't know, the worst day on the stand that you could possibly think of. He went through so many bottles of water and, and so forth. And, um, you know, it, again, I just think a lot of the, the protestations, for example, from Fannie Willis, it was, it was a lot of it was steamrolling, trying to talk really fast and constantly, you know, snap back with some something. Are you calling me a liar? That this kind of thing. It just, it was just there to deflect, I, you know, why not just answer the questions? I think it would have even painted a better picture than what happened with the way she behaved. No, 
people who are cornered, especially from the progressive left, don't like to answer the questions because they feel offended you're even allowed to ask them. <laughs> who who are you to question me? I I am elected. That's, that goes along with relative truth. You know, the whole go- idea going back into the progressive era, uh, pre-1970s sexual revolution where we talk about relative truth. Who are you to question me? I'm elected, therefore. Therefore, I hold this office, therefore. My my word is is beyond reproach. Who are you to question me? And and when you have a relative truth, well, Trump bad, then transgressing the transgressing the Constitution, uh, not caring about the law, cutting corners, uh, it ends up with this arrogant defense of bad behavior. You know, so, so we want to get back to good in this country, and I'm not saying that the the sexual revolution, revolution of the 70s was was a bad thing entirely. But it certainly altered the way we think when we had to grow. We just cemented ourselves into this Frankfurt School uh, the moral relativity and 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 truth can well, you know, it, it can slide this way and that way. And your truth is good, but my truth is good too. No, we can't really come to conclusions then. You know, oh, you, yeah, yeah. You, you certainly can't land on the moon thinking like that. <laughs> no kidding. That's right. That's right. And that's that's what you're describing, of course, is just, you know, I, I don't even know how it gets fixed at this point because it's so deeply ingrained into this idea of the relativism and moral relativism. You know, what's your truth? Just like what you're saying. And uh, it's definitely hard. Yeah. Putting, putting something into theory and discussing and examining and, and, and ratcheting up theory is one thing, but taking a theory and making it reality without without authority to do so our academic system is out of whack well you know uh we've been talking about the fanny willis uh, uh testimony and so forth but there's a lot of other stuff too uh that's uh, that's going on uh here on friday not the least of which is this you know satellite scare you know this you know the satellite scare thing now uh it one of the things that we're hearing about this too is that is this being over sort of emphasized in order to try to uh, get the uh, Ukraine funding through this kind of thing. Well, that's one of the things I, you know, it's been on the radar for a year when, when Johnson came out and was talking about it, he said, yeah, we've, we've been, we've been following this. It's, it's serious, but you know, we're on top of it Uh, to throw that out there in the media and ask for all of this to be public was that's where the eyebrow was raised. Um, if, if the intelligence committee has been briefed on this and people with clearances understand that it's there and they're taking it seriously and, you know, it's one thing for Congress to take it seriously. It's another thing for the Pentagon to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, then, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it's something to, to both move the Ukrainian funding through and also try to affect an election. Everybody believes that Biden is a very weak leader. To be able to put a, a a military issue on the table and say we need a strong leader, which is implied by by this issue, um, it could be politically motivated. So I think it was probably bad form to come out and 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 with the press release the way that was. That said, the Russians with with nuclear weapons in space, you know, we got to look at the physics of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when there is a nuclear explosion in space? 
Uh, what does our atmosphere, how, how much protection does it give us? Um, do we have technology in place to be able to make that a moot point? When we look at uh, a lot of the testing that we've been doing with ballistic missiles out in the Pacific Ocean with laser-related um, weaponry, you have to wonder if we have a launch detection in space, if a laser wouldn't be able to take that out before it even leaves its housing. Well, I mean, as I recall, I think at least back in the 60s, I believe, uh, at that time period, they did go ahead and, and essentially uh, have the nuclear test ban treaty, no atmospheric tests, and I think no tests in, in outer space. Uh, that was, I think, the agreement way back when. But but obviously, they're looking to you know uh, it either you know shoot down these satellites or or do something else, maybe with an EMP, for example. Yeah, we were talking about this back in uh, back in the 1980s when we were talking about Ronald Reagan and Star Wars. Having said, and the Russians were out of their mind saying you can't have space-based weapons. You know, that was the biggest protestation that came from the Russians back then is no, there's got to be a treaty where that doesn't happen. So this, this move by Putin, if in fact it is a move uh, to, to actually do it, and it's not theory, and he's not taking a page out of Reagan's saber rattle playbook with SDI. Um, you know, it's uh, you you have to look at the reality of the matter and not the theory of the matter, but you need to prepare for the worst. Right. Uh, and I don't put it past Putin. You know, Putin's ex KGB. He understands how potent propaganda is. The Russians, the Soviets, lost the Cold War based on on in large part. Um, on the propaganda campaign of the U.S. about the capabilities we had militarily, and we crushed the Russian economy as they were trying to catch up with something that really wasn't there. Right. Well, in fact, Gorbachev, years later in an interview, uh, said that it was uh, Reagan holding strong basically at Reykjavik, where Reagan would not give up the Strategic Defense Initiative, or more commonly known as Star Wars. Right. And uh, and he Gorbachev said, yeah, that, that was kind of the beginning of the end it's just a paraphrase but uh that but that shows why if you are uh if you're if you're stalwart if you have resolve and you won't move on something you know you shouldn't move on well that can be a good result no and and to the great extent that that was marketed to the soviets to make them have fear you know putin's going to use things that worked before to see if they work again and he, all he's doing is turning the tables if, in fact, this is a propaganda campaign. We already know he's using one in Ukraine. Right. You know, you know so to get someone in Congress to say, you know, they're, they're, they're getting ready to put nukes in space. You know, okay, we, gotta be, we, we have to focus on this. Well, if that's a bright, shiny thing that the Russians want us to be focused on, what are they doing they don't want us to pay attention to? <laughs> Good point. Good point indeed. And and certainly and this brings up the whole thing with Ukraine as well. You know, it it's I've seen some reports that say Russia can can hang in this fight for another two to three years easy at this point. Um, but uh, you know, at some point I can't imagine this that this would go on for another two to three years. It seems like it should have been over a long time ago if if we were able to give them what they needed to actually win this thing. But it seems like they have just enough to, to be at the subsistence level. When you total up all of the all of the money 
and then all of the cost of all of the armament that has been sent there, not only by the United States, by, but by all the NATO countries and, and all of the other Western nations that are supporting Ukraine, they should have won it already. Yeah. I mean, if they gave you or I $100 billion, Frank, I think we could probably find a way to win the war. I'm not being facetious, but it, these numbers are so astronomical that you got to wonder, how, why couldn't this be done? Well, this is why people like Rand Paul are correct on the issue of Ukraine. Unless you can tell me where this money's gone, not another cent. Right. We're, 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 not a, we're not an open bank account for you to just come and take money when you want to. The American, um, no, we're, th- what, th- how many trillion dollars in debt now? Yeah, 34, 35, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't have the money to keep giving to foreign nations just because we want you to be our friend. We, we don't have that. You either say, you know what, you're worthy to be an ally of the United States because you've got, you've got the biggest, most, m- most potent, most incredible military deterrent on the face of the planet, and we'd kind of like your protection if, if it hits the fan. But if it's like, and give me, give me 50, you know, Pakistan, why are we giving them a dime? They hit bin Laden. They, they, they are two-faced. They are not honest with us. I wouldn't give them a penny, but we have to do it for humanity. Well, you know what? Talk to your friends at the UN who don't pony up uh, their dues every year and tell them to take care of Pakistan. Well, you know, a lot of this is, you know, some, some people will say, well, this is such tough talk and so forth. But the problem is, is that we keep getting sort of blood dry and our economy suffers, our, you know, our defense suffers ultimately because of this. And, uh, and again, uh, we're spread thin and we have our military all over the place, for example, in the Middle East. And in so many ways, they're sitting ducks for things. You know, and, and this is the big pivot that happened during the Trump administration. Trump was not an isolationist, but he didn't believe in, he followed George Washington's advice in, in the farewell address about foreign entanglements. You know, we don't, we don't need to shy away from world events and we certainly shouldn't leave our allies hanging in the wind, but we do not need to be the world's policemen. And, and we especially don't need to be the world's policemen if nations around the world expect it and don't pitch in to pay for it. Exactly right. I mean, it, there's got to be a lot more give and take on that. And Trump, he, he's catching some heat for talking about NATO, stuff like that. But, uh, but it, at least it gets the conversation going, you know. He, you know, Kyle, the thing, whenever they talk about the comments that Trump made about NATO, they fail to say that only six countries in the NATO alliance are up to date on what they're supposed to be spending there. Only six nations pay the 3% of their GDP, which is the dues to be in NATO. Everybody else is delinquent. Yeah. Who said Who said they get a free ride? I'm not saying they're not good people, and I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the alliance, but pay your dues. Well, that's right. Well, because they know that, you know, even if they don't, it all just kind of keeps going on. But yeah, they do have to step up. And and Trump's right to at least bring this up. We've been talking about Fannie Willis. We've been talking about the uh, the satellite uh, issue with Russia, basically. Uh, but uh, we always we always uh, talk a little bit about 
what's happening at the border, especially where Texas is concerned right now. And it looks like a federal judge, this from the AP, a federal judge on Thursday had voiced concerns uh, over a Texas law that gives the police a broad authority to arrest migrants on the charge that they entered the country illegally, uh, saying it would become a nightmare if the U.S. had just a what's called a patchwork of states enforcing different immigration laws. But what Texas is doing, I mean, they're, 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 they're being forced into this position because the federal government won't lift a finger. Right. The, the, the chief job of government at any level is to praise the protection of the citizens within their authority. That's, that's their chief reason for existing. The federal government, especially for Texans, and I'd say people from uh, New Mexico, Arizona, and California chiefly, but the 50 states in total are not being protected from an unsecure border because the federal government is refusing to enforce already legislated and codified laws relating to border security and immigration. This would be different if no law existed. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's laws on the books that that President Biden can can enforce right now, which is his duty, not his option, but his duty under the Constitution uh, to prevent what's happening at the southern border, and he's not doing it. So Texas must protect its population per its constitution. So Abbott and and this the, the government of the state of Texas is executing not only its due diligence, but its obligation to the people of Texas to keep them safe. You know, we see this in location after location where the, these immigrants, you know, I cannot believe we're calling them immigrants. They're, they're criminals who have transgressed the laws of the United States to be here. They know they shouldn't have crossed the border. They did it illegally. But, you know, but we see it. The, they've arrived in New York, they've arrived in Chicago, they've, they've been arriving in L.A. For, for decades, and you're seeing the crime tick up. You know, it's in New York. It's oh, yeah. the, the, the crime is, is just skyrocketing out of proportion there, and it's almost 90% due to the fact that you have a, an illegal immigrant demographic there that is going unaccountable for the crimes that they're committing. Now, media won't say anything about that because it's not politically correct to say, well, illegals are doing it. That would would prove the point about why you need a secure border. So the media is not going to report the specifics of why there's a spike in crime in New York. You're kidding yourself if you don't lay that at the feet of the people who shouldn't be in this country in the first place. Well, sure, sure. Now, of course, now with your book nullification, you know, talks about the idea when something doesn't go with the Constitution, that states have a right to uh, to essentially nullify that. And and uh, I know I'm oversimplifying there, but but in this particular case, Texas isn't nullifying something. Uh, in fact. The federal government is nullifying itself uh, by by stepping back and not doing its duty. And one would think now, if tanks were rolling across the border at Juarez, let's say, or you know, uh, coming across at El Paso, and military uh, soldiers were coming by, and what if the federal government said, "No, nope, we're not going to send the army down there. It's really not. Uh, we don't think we we want to do that. It's not part of our agenda." Texas would have every right to 
muster or whatever forces it had to repel the invaders. So, in other words, conceptually, there's not really a big difference here. The fact that the federal government is abrogating its responsibility. No, you're 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 right. They've you know to use their argument. Well, maybe the Mexican military just wants a better opportunity to be a better military. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, come up with some cockamamie thing like. Yeah, they're just looking for an opportunity to actually understand what it's like to do to to have a victory instead of losing to the drug cartels all the time. This it, this goes back to the to the moral relativism and and my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. The the gaslighting they're doing to the American people on the border, we see through it. it it's not even effective gaslighting. We see through it. It's a political move to deteriorate the, the democratic process we have during our elections. They're using the cloward piven strategy to flood the zone to an uncontrollable extent where it alters the reality that exists artificially. Mm-hmm. That, that's what's happening on the border. Uh, Texas has decided they don't want their electoral system screwed up by the federal government's gerrymandering of reality. And, and they're taking measures to do so. Half the governors in the United States support Abbott and the state of Texas to the point where, I don't know, now it's like 12 or 13 have sent National Guard troops down to, to aid the state of Texas. Indeed. You know, I know Louisiana's done it. Indiana's done it. Uh, Florida's done it. You know, this is, this is significant. And the fact that you're not hearing the federal government really protest that you can't move your national guard. You can't do that means the jig is up and they understand the states have authority to do things. Right. So, and, and, and the people are not with Biden and company. No, yes. At all. No, every poll, even the most leftist poll out there shows that the people are are absolutely against by by twenty five points and more up to sixty five points against what the what the Biden administration and ipso facto Obama two administration is doing to the border. Um, the the one thing the next president, whoever it is, uh, when they come in office, that border must be shut that day. Well, that day, right, right, exactly. Well, but that also kind of begs the question. What will you do about those who've already come across the border? They are here illegally. You know, is, is this, are they crazy like a fox to say, we've got millions and millions of people come in during the Biden years and, you know, it's going to be impossible, quote unquote, to, to send everybody back across the border. You know, it's just going to be a, a really a very uh, tall order, obviously. Uh, so what happens? Is there an amnesty or is there a path of citizenship? Or do they, you know, is there some other other methodology here? You can you can bet dollars to donuts. The Democrats will say, well, it's just too big a task. It's just too big a task. And, and you know, they're paying into the system, even if it's even if it's on the, with street tax and, and and the way dollars happen on the black market and stuff. So l- let's have a let's figure out immigration reform. No, no, we need to figure it out. But no one should be rewarded. The border and it, the border and immigration reform have to be two separate issues. Securing the border is simple. Secure the border. Build the wall. Secure the border. When people come over it, they're arrested and pushed back. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. 
that needs to be executed. Immigration is a separate issue. Immigration is how do we how do we meter the people who are coming in and make sure only the deserved get here. And and the Democrats have been trying to marry those two subjects together for as long as I've been alive. You know, so let's handle them as two separate two separate subjects. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that Americanism understands the word we can't do. We put a man on the moon when everybody laughed at us. You know, nobody said there'd ever be laser weapons. We've got them. <laughs> you know, so right. 11 million people are here illegally. When you find them here illegally, they go because they broke the law. Well, I, I hear you exactly what you're saying. I can see the Democrat party elite, though, coming up with commercials that basically say it's like they're putting people in boxcars. Well, you know, it, it's yeah. going to be that kind of you know, over-the-top propaganda stuff. It's going to nope. not be pretty. Absolutely. Little Dickie Durbin is going to say, you're tr- you're trying to rip parents and children apart. I, I know, but that we can almost write the script for it because that's exactly what they would say. And you're absolutely on, on the money on that, Frank. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, unfortunately, our time's coming to an end, but it, like I said, it goes by so fast. I can't even explain it. But Frank Silvato... UndergroundUSA.com, author of the book Nullification. Have a great uh, weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday, my friend. If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it if your platform lets you. Be sure to head on over to UndergroundUSA.com to sign up for our Substack, which comes straight to you, circumventing the censors and the fact checkers, because we both know that they're worthless, and that's been proven over time. And be sure to pick up your copy of Nullification, the case for decentralizing the federal government, available in Kindle and paperback over at Amazon.com. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato, and we will be back right after this. This podcast is a production of the Compass Point Group.